This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hello and welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 36. Today, John and I are catching up on our Montana trips and the opening of our whitetail seasons and the hunt for the deer I call lucky. So stay tuned. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and as always, I'm joined by my brother from another mother, Mr. John Utah Mulligan. How's it going, man? Hey, what's up, dude? <laughs> do you like the uh, Do you like the the fake fanfare that I threw in there? The little little crowd noise. That was I, you almost had me convinced there was like a crowd of people, like of one or two, yeah, cheering for me. I started. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, people don't know, but we record this in front of a live studio audience. It's a It's an audience of. I have three bar stools here on my side. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a um, a bar full of liquor that I'm staring at. They seem pretty engaged, though. I'm, I'm, I got to tell yeah. you, they, they seem pretty attentive. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chomping at the bit. Yeah. So uh, today, you know, uh, well, first off, what's going on with you, man? Like, what's what's going on in the life of not necessarily hunting related, but the life of John Johnny Utah? Anything uh, anything interesting going on in the personal space? Uh, yeah, man. I um. Well, my, my wife's uh, sister uh, from Cincinnati, she's in town visiting, and we don't get to see her uh, all that often. So, um, you know, Aunt Tina is uh, up there playing with the kids and running around and whatnot, so that's been cool. And um, I just actually got back in town, uh, you know, the day job, the mm-hmm. Wicked Tree Gear day job. Mm-hmm. Um, we, uh, we just signed with Outtech, um, mm-hmm. a new rep group. And well, new rep group for us. They're right. they're not a new rep group, but um, anyways, I had some meetings with them in Cleveland uh, for a few days, 
uh, that was pretty cool to go over the product line and get familiar with those people and uh, their team. They've got a they've got a killer team, man. They nice. uh, full full fifty state coverage, and I think there's like sixty five seventy reps just on the hunting side, and then they have a whole another division that's like outdoor, uh, general outdoor related. So. Real fired up about that for uh, to finish out the year with those guys and move into 2018 and beyond. Mm-hmm. So that's been uh, been pretty uh, been pretty hectic. Uh, it caused me to miss the opening day of Iowa's uh, bow opener. Um, you know, but you got to pay the bills, right? You got to yeah. work before you play. Yeah, some, something like something like that, man. Missing missing the opener, that's a bummer. And you had to be in Cleveland. That's like I know. Yeah, I mean, as a yeah. We might lose some listeners here, but as a Steeler fan, that Cleveland—that's a hard—that's a hard pill to swallow. Well, it's funny because uh, the taxi cab lady, she was—or um, I'm sorry, or, or the Uber lady, she uh, she's like, yeah, I don't even admit that I'm a Cleveland Browns fan at all. <laughs> and I was like, I wouldn't admit that either. Right? You know? Yeah, I have some good back and forth at the beginning of the year with usually with Chad Sylvester since he's you know a native Ohio uh-huh. guy and he's a. Uh, He's he's a Browns fan, um, you know. Unfortunately, he admits that in public to to a degree. Right. And uh, um, he always likes to talk smack at the beginning of the year because the only time they have hope is before the season starts. And so I uh-huh. let him, I let him have his five minutes, and then usually we, we usually play them pretty early in the year. And then then we usually shut them down, and then at that point we don't really talk football anymore because there's not much to talk about. Then we turn our that's focus right. to deer hunting. So that's what that's what we do. That's how we keep the friendship alive. Yeah. <laughs> Nice man. So you got you got the uh, the Antina in town, man. Does that mean um, you got some uh, some babysitting, some some uh, in house babysitting to where maybe you know a little bit of free time? Uh, no, not so much. It's uh, you know, last night I think we sat up and watched movies until about one o'clock this morning, and um, you know they're. Uh, her and her, her sister, they, it's, uh, like I said, they, they only get to see each other a couple times a year. So they're all about, um, you know, cooking some big meals and, and curling up on the couch and watching, uh, movies like the notebook and, you know, things like that, that I have zero interest in even knowing right. what the movie's about. I've just heard that it's a girl movie and I won't like it. Right. Yeah. So that's what they do. <laughs> nice. Nice. Speaking of big meals, man, I'm getting ready to, unfortunately, I'm not going to get to hit the timber this weekend, which isn't necessarily a super sad story because the weather's not supposed to be great here uh-huh. this weekend. It's supposed to be kind of warm. Um, but I have a buddy every year we do odd name. We probably could have come up with a better name, but we call it meat fest. Not a great name uh-huh. it, admittedly. Um, but yeah. what we do is every spring, you know, I'll go to his place or he'll come to mine. And then in the fall, vice versa. Um, and we, uh-huh. and we fire up the smoker and we basically just make a couple different types of meat on the smoker. And we start, you know, cooking early in the morning. That way we have, you know, meats for breakfast and lunch and then dinner. Sure. And basically, you know, by, you know, six, seven o'clock in the afternoon, you're pretty well on your way to the meat sweats and, uh, and basically just gorge ourselves. So that's this weekend. We'll be doing some ribs. I make a nice, uh, it's a bourbon. I make a bourbon like barbecue sauce glaze, a homemade, a homemade one which is really good. Yep. And uh, so we're going to throw some swine on. We're going to do some pig candy. I don't know if you ever had pig candy. Um, no, what is, what is, what is pig candy? <laughs> I might regret asking, but. 
Well, you know, did you ever have, uh, no, um, it's essentially, it's really thick sliced bacon and you take it and, oh, okay. you know, ideally you, you put, well, what I'll be doing is I'm going to, I'll throw some maple syrup on it, kind of glaze it with that yeah. in a, in a pan or, you know, some type of cooking apparatus. And then I'll throw on like the rub that I would use for barbecue. So I make like kind of a, a mixture of, you know, it's pepper, brown sugar, cayenne, paprika, onion powder, garlic powder, your typical, you know, uh, rub for ribs. You throw a little bit of that on and then you let it sit in the refrigerator overnight. Then you pull it out in the morning You throw a little bit more uh, of that and brown sugar on it. And then you crank up the smoker at about 225, throw it in for two hours and it crisps up and just kind of makes this bacon candy because it gives you that salty but sweet, you know, savory, you know, type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, bacon, maple syrup, barbecue, like, okay. Yep, sold. I'm sold. I'm ready to clog arteries. Right, exactly. So that's what I'm going to be doing on – on Saturday, so no whitetail, uh, no whitetail hunting for me. On a personal note, it's funny. I wanted to tell you this story because I was talking to my brother-in-law right before you and I got on, and uh, he was asking me about you know the Montana trip and, and stuff, and we were talking a little bit about that. And um, he uh, he's he's big into training and stuff like that, and he, he's kind of he sometimes has a little bit of a screw loose once in a while where he just he trains really really hard. Like he's gone to competitions for like physique and stuff like that. Like a guy that's he lives at the gym. And so he was like, you know what? He's like, you know, since I got out of the military, he's like, I th- I've been thinking I've been getting a little soft lately, you know, and uh, he just, uh, he lives on his own. Now he was, you know, had a, had a living girlfriend for a while, but she doesn't live there anymore. And um, he was like, you know, I felt like I was getting soft. He's like, so I felt like I needed to ratchet up my mental toughness. You know, he's like, I go to the gym. He's like, so physically I'm tough, you know, I'm fit or whatever. He's like, but mentally I just felt like I needed to try to take it, get it back to where I was. He's like, so I shut off all the hot water to my house and I only, and I only take all cold showers now that way he's like first thing in the morning. It's like, I'm having to be mentally tough to get through the shower. He's like, and the added bonus is he's like, when you have a girl that's over, he's like, and you really want her to leave in the morning. She goes to take a shower. She's like, that usually ends pretty quickly. (laughs) So that's his methodology for uh, moving, moving ladies out of his house and, and providing himself mental toughness is yeah. What's that? I I was just a, a, a green. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I could, uh, I don't know that I could do that, but, uh, it seems so anyone out there listening, it's like, if you have a, a house guest that you would like to move along quickly, turning off the hot water might be, might be a move that you could, uh, you could employ. I don't yeah. know. I don't know that I would go that far, but, uh, I kind of like the, the, the amenity of warm water. I don't know about you. It, it's quite nice. It is, um, Warm water is, um, goes a long way. Um, and we can actually, we'll, uh, uh, as, as we go, go into the podcast and we talk about, um, the Montana stuff, I'll, uh, I'll share the warm water, um, joys that I was able to find. Nice. I, I look forward to hearing that. So I think, you know, even, I guess we can just kind of jump into it. I mean, I'm sure people aren't tuning in to hear us talk about our, our family pig our candy and pig Aunt candy Tina. yeah, yeah and, and, and crazy brother-in-laws that you use the uh cold water as a as a way to um, force the walk of shame to happen earlier in the morning than, than maybe would usually yeah. happen um so montana you mentioned montana one of us so both of us so for, for anyone out there who missed it john and i both had montana hunts this year um, John was, was hunting antelope and I was on a, you know, a mule deer, whitetail elk hunt. And, uh, we were really hoping to go two for two. 
your story, I think, is the much better story. So I think that you should go first to so just give us, I guess, I'm sure I'll have questions as we go. Cause you and I've had a chance to talk yeah. about it a little bit, but we haven't really kind of dove into it, but you sure. know, let me know. Let, let the, it's just, let's start with the success version first and then we'll talk about my failure. <laughs> <laughs> There's a good and a bad to every story. That's right. Before we hear about John's antelope hunt, let's hear this week's whitetail food plot tip of the week. It's less a tip and more of a testimonial. I've planted my share of food plots over the years, and Mother Nature always has a lot to do with the plot's success and or its failure. Since I've planted my pure attraction uh, plots, uh, fall and late season plot this September, Mother Nature turned off all the water here in Pennsylvania. Most plots would be a complete total loss at this point. To my surprise, though, when I checked on the plot while walking to my stand, the plot looks like it's actually going to be a nice food source during the fall and winter. The rain we just got would definitely help, too. That said, I can't control the weather, but I can pick the seed I use, and I'll continue using Whitetail Institute of North America food plot products. If you'd like to learn more about Whitetail Institute products, head over to whitetailinstitute.com. And now back to the show. So, well, um, you know, I went to Montana last year on an antelope hunt, um, and, and we've alluded to this, but... Um, Whenever you plan these hunts ahead of time, it's not like you genuinely know what the weather is going to be uh, mm -hmm. other than typically this is what the temperature is, but you can't predict rain or wind and that kind of stuff. So last year when I went out there, um, we had two good days and really two really crappy days, you know, high, high wind and rain and whatnot. But um, this year I went a little bit earlier. The strategy was to try to go before the rut versus last year. Uh, that way I wouldn't have as many eyeballs uh, staring at me as I was trying to stalk. And for anybody that was, uh, that might have missed the, the last podcast where we talked about it, this was a public land, bow hunting, um, no decoys, no water hole, no ground blind, you know, straight up, you know, Cherokee style, take it to them, you know, kind of style of hunting, which is so different than what I'm accustomed to with whitetails, you know, hunting mm -hmm. from a tree stand or, you know, even a ground blind. Right. Um, so we went out there earlier this year, knew it was going to be hotter. Unfortunately, uh, with all of the fires that were going on out there, the smoke and the haze was really bad. And if you wear contacts, it seems like that smoke finds a way just to lay up underneath your lenses. And my eyes were just on fire uh, midway through the days. But um, we got after it. We got on. Uh, uh, my buddy Jesse, he went out there with me to run a camera and really kind of was a a knight in shining armor. I had another guy that was supposed to run a camera and 13 days before the hunt, um, that whole plan went to, went to pot. Um, details aren't that important other than right. pretty much left me high and dry. Right. Uh, so Jesse came in, stepped up and agreed to go out there with me and, and help me out. So, um, we got, uh, we got on some goats right away. Uh, a lot of singles and that's what we wanted. Well, they weren't herded up and they weren't chasing, you know, each other around and, you know, you didn't have the one buck standing over top of his 15, you know, 15 does. But, um, so we got on them pretty good and, uh, huge asset of being out there once before and kind of knowing the areas that I wanted to go ahead of time. Um, that was a huge plus. So that, that enabled us to get into the hot areas uh, a little bit quicker um, had a couple of really good stalks uh, on day one and, uh, I pulled my shot a little bit. I had a 70, 
think it's like 74 yard shot. And I had the distance. Um, and I just, I torqued a little bit and, um, shot right behind, right behind the antelope. And I was like, well, I mean, it was, that was close and it would have been cool to, to have gotten that one, but man, wouldn't have been much of a story, you know, to, to camp out, wake up in the morning and shoot the first encounter. But, um, then we, um, I had another shot that I was perfect left and right on. It was another 70 yard shot. And I was just, just right under, underneath this goat and, uh, probably missed him, you know, a couple inches underneath his chest. And I thought, man, I was like, what's going on? You know? So, um, it's, uh, you know, when you're out there, you're trying to keep your head in the game, but you're also trying to have fun and take in everything and, and whatnot. So I was uh, making sure I didn't beat myself up too much. I didn't want to spoil any of my experience, you know, out there, but at the end of the day, you're still kind of beating yourself up because you're like, I had two really cool stalks and, and, um, you know, and I miss the shots, you know, right. um, and you're always kind of wondering, you know, if that opportunity is going to come back around. Right. It's like, that's one of exactly. the worst things is yeah. like whenever I'm hunting and it's like, and I get an opportunity, it's like, if I blow the opportunity or something happens, like the first thing I think it'd be like, is this going to be the only one that I get this year? You know what I mean? Like, did, exactly. I, just, yeah. did I just blow the one chance I was going to have to have the, you know, the quote unquote successful hunt. There's a lot of ways to define success, but a harvested hunt. You know? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And that, and of course that kind of stuff's running through your head and, um, you know, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that I wasn't thinking, you know, well, I came out here last year and I was unsuccessful, you know, as, am I just meant not to kill an antelope with a bow? You know, is that just the way it's supposed to be? And, right. um, but, um, you know, really, really kind of dove back into the whole experience of it all and chalked it up to, Hey, I don't get, I only get to come out here once a year. Um, I'm not going to stand in the batter's box, you know, I'm going to swing away. And if I strike out, I strike out. But, uh, the other thing that I learned from last year to this year was, um, I didn't get out of the truck and, um, to go on low percentage stocks. You know, I only got out of the truck and, and did high, what I felt were high percentage stocks. You know, maybe you have a ditch line or an irrigation line, uh, or you have a topography advantage where you can dip into something or pop in over a hill and, um, they can, they can just see so well and and they move, they're transient creatures. You know, you can spot one, over a hill and you go to the other side of that hill and you pop up over and those jokers are already a mile away. And I'm like, they were just there a second ago. Um, but so there was a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, but so we stayed, we stayed after it. And on day three, um, we changed things up. We, we moved away from Broadus and we went down to a town called Alzada and, um, on our way back to Broadus, what part of Montana is this? Are you in eastern? South, southeast. Southeast. Okay. Yep, southeast corner. Not far from Wyoming at all. Right. Okay. Um, and so we were we were kind of around like Powder River and uh, some of that area when we were up around Broadus. But so we went a little further south um, into into uh, or I guess southeast, kind of um, into Alzada. And didn't see a lot of activity when we were there. So we took some back roads from Alzada back to Broadus instead of taking the highway. And I saw, I saw some, some state ground and some, some BLM ground uh, along the way. And we're, we're driving and all of a sudden we pop up on this chunk. And I'm talking just like literally hundreds of antelope. 
hundreds. Jeez. And some of them were on the private and some of them were on the public. And on the private side, they had a lot of the farmer had a bunch of alfalfa. And the ones that weren't in the private, they were wanting to cross the road to go and feed, you know, in that alfalfa that, that night at last light. Right. And there was one antelope in particular when I was glassing, um, I'm like, Jesse, dude, I was like, check out the, check out the cutters on that thing, you know? And I'm such a newbie when it comes to Western game. Right. Um, I don't know what is a trophy antelope other than people say if they curl over really good, you know, that's a good thing. And if they've got big cutters, that's a good thing. And mm-hmm. up until this point, I thought that there was like an inside spread measurement, like on a whitetail. Right. Um, I'm like, he's not really wide, but man, he's got a lot of mass and, and he curls over a lot and he's got giant cutters. And so we so- saw him, but we ran out of light. Right. And, so how um, do they how do they assess like the the size? Like I mean, I guess so. Score, but according to uh, the Boone and Crockett measuring, there's four mass measurements. So like a whitetail, mm-hmm. um, you have the uh, I guess you can call it like the the horn length um, from base to the tip. So you get two of those. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one on each side, and then they have a cutter measurement that you measure from the tip of the cutter, you follow the base of it, and then when it touches the, I guess what you would call like the straight up and down, in in terms of whitetail, when you get to the the base of the uh, the main beam, so mm-hmm. to speak, or the the time, you know, the base of that tine, right. then you go straight across the widest part, um, okay. you know, of that um, of that horn, right. And so it's, uh, the, it's kind of a 45 degree angled measurement, you know, right? Okay. Uh, or maybe 30 degree angle, however it's shaped, but, and then that's it. Uh, there is no inside spread credit. There's, there's none of that. There's no tip to tip, um, you know, type deal. Right. So, um, on day four, we went back up and we kind of hunted around, brought us, um, and we actually got on some there on day four, uh, just the stalks weren't, weren't panning out. And, and I'm like, man, this is our last day. Um, let's, let's go back down to that area we saw last night and see if we can get on them. And, uh, so we got back down to that area. I actually spotted that same goat with the big cutters and just, uh, he was hanging out on private and just couldn't, you know, couldn't, couldn't get a crack at him. He wasn't moving off of that private piece. And there was some others that were moving around on the public and we tried to get around and make some plays on them and just, just didn't pan out. Right. So we go back to our campsite, which speaking of hot water, uh, <laughs> a buddy of mine lives out there in, in Broadus, and he had introduced us to a ranch owner out there and said, Hey, if you guys want to throw a tent up here, um, they also have a guest house. It's a, it's a, a trailer that no one lives in, but there's hot running water in there. Sweet. So, uh, talking about, a um, a way to boost your spirits back up, you know, oh, you yeah. get a hot shower after you've been sleeping in a tent uh, oh, yeah. out there for three or four days. For sure. So now we got our spirits lifted. We just got a hot shower in and, um, we're laying in our, in our tents and, and I kind of yell over to Jesse and I'm like, Hey, what, uh, what would your thoughts be? I mean, I, I know we're supposed to wake up in the morning at like six and tear down and, and load up and head back to Iowa. Uh, Jesse also, he lives in Iowa, a little West of me. And, um, 
I said, what, what if we got up at like four and we tore down and we drive back down to that piece of public where we've been seeing all those big goats on, you know, it is kind of on our way back out of town and everything. I mean, I'm really, I'm layering it on, you know, I'm really trying to sell this idea. And, um, he just kind of, he looks at, you know, or doesn't look at me, but I hear him kind of go, well, I mean, we're already here, so we might as well. And I'm like, seriously, like you're down with that. He's like, yeah, dude, let's, let's give it one last ditch effort. So, you know, we had a four day hunt planned and now we're in overtime. We wake up at four o'clock in the morning. We're tearing down our tent. Uh, We've got frost on our tent poles. So when we went to sleep, we're talking 80, 90 degrees. Mm -hmm. And then we wake up at 4 a.m. and we've got frost on the tent poles. (laughs) Um, We we did the, the absolute manliest thing we could. We started my truck, turned the defrost on, and we actually got in my truck and got dressed. Uh, it was that cold. I mean, it was just <laughs> freezing cold, you know? Right. Um, not that 40 degrees or whatever, upper 30s is that cold, but when you're accustomed to 195 and 98 temperatures, yeah. and then all of a sudden you get like a 60-degree drop, I was like, I am frozen. Like, I can't even feel my hands. So yeah. we um, we loaded up, and we went back down to that public spot. Um and the sun came up and spotted that same goat with the big cutters. I mean, he was kind of a homebody, man. He kind of had his little area that he was kind of hanging out in. Um, we sat there and kind of, you know, try to make a, a game plan. And and I told Jesse, I said, all right, 8 a.m., that's our cutoff. If I don't have an arrow in a goat by 8 a.m., that's it. We're heading back to Iowa. And um, I had two arrows left. Um, we devised a plan to do kind of a little ditch dive. You know, what we noticed, and if, if guys have been out there, girls been out there, um, those antelope are really, really curious creatures and they'll, they'll sit and watch vehicles drive up and down the road. And I don't know, maybe it's cause it's so flat out there. It's like the only source of entertainment or something. I, I, I don't know, but <laughs> they like literally would just, they'll stare and they'll watch at vehicles. So after watching this kind of stuff, you know, over the past few days, I was like, hey, Jesse, here's the plan. You get in the truck. You drive the truck. I'm going to dive off into a ditch, you know, into the ditch line. And, you know, it gives me a couple of feet, but that's all I really need. You know, if you got a couple of feet to get into and then the sage bush is, you know, tall enough, um, I can hide behind that. You keep on driving down the road and he's going to watch you drive down the road. Um, And it'll it'll take his mind off of me, you know, jumping out of the truck. And, um once he calms back down and he goes back to nibbling on sage and, and grass and whatnot, as he's working his way back towards, you know, that alfalfa, I'll be able to get a shot. And, and that's how it worked out. Um, (laughs) ranged him at 65 yards and was able to get a shot off. Um, my shot was, um, you know, front of stomach, uh, liver area Mm -hmm. up and down was good but it was a little back right? and he didn't run off. He just, you know, did the, Oh crap. You know, right. I've got a hole in me. I'm injured. And he just kind of was walking off and he started to just bed down and fold up kind of like an accordion. Um, and I'm thinking, Oh my gosh, this, this, you know, this just happened. It worked. <laughs> yeah. This plan worked. This crazy plan, you know, worked. Um, but then the the first thing popped in my head was, well, 
I said I was, uh, we were here until I got an arrow by 8 a.m. and it's 7.33. So we're good. I don't care how long this takes. Right. And then immediately I'm like, no, I don't want this to take a long time. You know, I've, I've injured this animal. Um, yes, it's a, um, it, it is a, a wound that will, will kill the animal, but I don't know how long it's going to take and I don't want this animal to suffer. Right. So he had bedded down and I grabbed my last arrow out of my quiver, uh, the last quiver to my name, actually, in the state of Montana. I had no other arrows left. Um, And um, took the binos to my face and started another stalk on him. He was bedded down facing away. and, And as he turned his head to the right. I would move to the left and as he moved to the moved his head to the left, I would move to the right, just making sure I stayed exactly totally behind him and took my time. Um, and I was able to get into about 20 yards of him and put, put one last arrow into him. Um, and he was bedded down facing away from me. So I didn't have a whole lot of vital area. Um, and my best play was just to try to punch the shoulder to hit lungs, you know, right. that was, um, that was my best shot available. So that's what I was able to do. And, um, the old G five broadhead, I was shooting, uh, the, the, the new G five dead meats nice. and it just, it, it blew right through the shoulder and, and stuck in him. Um, he jumped up to his feet and went to run about five yards and did the kind of did that drunken wobble, you know? Right. And that yeah. was it. Um, and you know, at that point it was, um, I mean, I was excited, but I was more relieved that I was able to get another arrow in him and end any kind of possible suffering or anything like that. I mean, from the first arrow to the second arrow, um, I mean, it was a matter of, you know, four minutes, maybe right. five minutes, uh, felt like an hour. But yeah. um, so it was, it was uh, like I said, I mean, as much as I wanted to jump up and down and be excited because I was thrilled, um, I was like I said, I was just more relieved, you know, that um that it was able to work out and, you know, I had a goat on the ground. Um, we got to work right away, you know, we got, got to work and, um, field dressed. And, you know, we, of course we snapped a couple of photos, uh, real mm-hmm. fast, but, yeah. um, and got, uh, got him field dressed and, um, got the hide off. Uh, I've been told that, um, from some, you know, some local buddies of mine that live out there, um, get the hide off as quick as you possibly can. And if you do so, it's uh, some of the best meat that you've ever had in your life, you know? Yeah. That's what um, I've heard, man. I was just going to say, I, I can't wait for to, to hear when you try that. I, I don't know if you've tried any of it yet or not, but. Um, it's actually falling out right now, just falling out enough that we can start cutting, you know, and processing some of it. Cause I just cut everything off in big chunks, you know? Right. Um, and just did a, did a quick, uh, rump roast and quick quarter and back straps. And, you know, so we threw everything in the cooler, uh, while we were there and, um, I caped up, uh, caped up to the base of the neck. And after that is where it starts getting really, really tight. And then you got to start making Y cuts and, and that kind of stuff. And I didn't want the hide to slip. So I went ahead and stopped there, uh, rolled everything up and uh, threw that in the cooler and said, well, you know, when I get home and I got more time, then I'll finish caping out and right uh, for taxidermy stuff. But nonetheless, uh, 
talking about uh, an enjoyable ride home. I mean, what was going to look like a 12 hour, fairly somber, quiet ride home, you know? Right. And uh, again, I mean, let's, you know, you and I, we're both diehard hunters. Right. We, we do it for the experience. We do it for the learning that we're going to get out of it. We do it to get away from public, mm-hmm. um, for our day jobs and, and just enjoy what, you know, creations and enjoy the public lands and all that stuff. That's a given. Um, at the same time, the ride home was much more enjoyable when you're, you're tired, you're beat up, you're hot, you've been sleeping on the ground. You've been living off of uh, meals that come in a pouch that you add hot water to, Mm -hmm. um, all that kind of stuff. And I mean, we're beat, you know, like I said, I would have done anything just to lay down and go to sleep. But after knowing that I was coming home with this antelope and coming home with all this meat, um, man, I was like, I don't care if we got to drive halfway across the country to get home, you know, like I'm, I'm good. I don't think I even had an energy drink the whole way home. You know, I was, (laughs) I was high on life. So that was super cool. And you, you basically avoided um, the drive home that I had. Is what you avoided. Yes, 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 very much so. Um, and then the the bonus of the whole deal, like I said, we we were able to shoot some good video, and and I already had you know kind of the script in mind to put together a short film. Which uh, an update on that: the short film is complete, and nice. I will send you a link for the sneak peek of that. Sweet. Um, I'm going to submit that to the Badlands Film Festival, and hopefully it'll get picked up there, and nice. I'll get to share that with everybody you know, in that, um, in that arena. But, um, I got home and, and one of my really good friends, uh, a guy I, I should introduce you to a buddy of mine, Jeremy Myers in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. And he does a lot of work with, uh, with scent lock. Um, mm-hmm. it's one of his main, main brands that he does some work with, but uh, really good photographer, great editor. And he calls me and he's like, man, I got to hear all the details. Got to hear all the details. So I'm telling him, you know, kind of telling him the story and more of a Cliff Notes version than what we just did. But um, he's like, um, have you measured him yet? And I said, no, no, you know, I haven't measured him. I said, dude, you know me, I, I didn't even measure my my Iowa buck from last year. Um, it seems like the more I hunt, the less the score means to me. But right. nonetheless, yeah. he's like, uh, will, you, will, will you measure him for me? And I said, I, I don't even know where to start measuring, you know. I was like, he's not really wide. He's like, I don't think that's one of the measurements. And I'm like, well, sure, sure it is, you know, because that's a measurement on whitetails. Right, yeah. So he sends me a link to the Boone and Crockett measuring thing, and and he texts me. He's like, hey, did you get that? I'm like, yeah, I got it. And he's like, well, did you measure him yet? And I'm like, no. He's like, <laughs> dude, seriously, like, please, just for me, will you measure this thing? And I said, why? He goes, well, you sent me a picture, and, and, and I've seen other pictures of other antelopes, and this one looks really big. Right. And I said, what are you saying? I mean, he's big, like in a whitetail world. What does that mean? He's like in the fifties. Is he in the sixties or like, what's that mean? He goes, no, like I'm thinking like seventies, eighties. I'm like, shut up, you know? <laughs> um, so against my better judgment, I, I said, all right, screw it. I open up the attachment and I'm like, all right, this isn't going to take very long. This is very, you know, this is actually a pretty simple measuring system that they have there for these things. I mean, it is kind of a two-pointer, right, with tickers. So um, I'm like, ah, this won't take long. So I measure him up, and I measure him once. I write down the score. Then I measure him a second time. I write down the score. And um, both times I measured, I was it was within a uh, a quarter inch. Right. Um, 
And so I called him and I said, well, the, I measured him twice and here's the lower of the two numbers that I came up with. And he's like, okay, what do you, what do you have? And I said, I've got 81 and five eights. And he's like, you are a jerk. I'm like, why am I a jerk? You know? He's like, dude, congrats. You just killed a Boone and Crockett antelope. And I'm like, shut the front door. You know, I was like, that's just too funny. I didn't even know what I, what I had done. And, um, I'm like, that's, that's super cool. I'm like, is it bad of me to say that I, I wish it was a big whitetail Boone and Crockett, you know, but, right. um, <laughs> Hey, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take whatever I can get. You know, my first one, uh, you know, my first antelope ends up being a, a Boone and Crockett, you know, I'm like, that's, yeah, dude. I mean, I'll take a little charity every once in a while, you know, that's so, right, man. Um, well, there, dude, there was no charity there, man. And you had to work for that. You know, I remember I was, I had texted you while you were out there just to see how things were going. And you had said, yeah. you know, that you had missed one. I knew you were going to be in and out of service and stuff like that. So I wasn't, you know, uh-huh. I wasn't trying to blow up your phone. So we te- we texted the one day and you said you had missed one. And I was uh-huh. just thinking, I was like, man, I was like, I can't believe you missed, you know, not that people can't miss, but I was just, I was bummed out for you. You know what I mean? I sure, like, sure. You go out yep. there and you get an opportunity. It's like, I'd like to see my buddy bring something home or have, have a, you know, have uh-huh. a harvest. And then I got another text from you, like not too long or, you know, a couple of days later or whatever, um, with vindication. And I was, dude, I don't know. Like you would have thought I shot the antelope. Like I was pumped. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you sent me, yeah. the, you sent me the pictures and stuff like that. And I posted one of them on, uh, on Instagram and we'll actually probably uh-huh. use, you know, the other one of you with the antelope for the cover of, of this podcast. Uh-huh. Um, and I was showing you know, like buddies of mine when I went out West, I was showing buddies of mine. I was like, Hey, I was like, my buddy John killed this antelope and my buddy Luke who lives in Montana. And he was like, damn, uh-huh. he's like, man, he's like, that's a nice goat. And I was like, yeah, he was like, he's like, he's live out here. And I was like, now nah, he's from Iowa. And he was like, man, he's like, that's a nice goat. Like, so, you know, yeah. not local yeah. guy do, doing good on the trip. Yeah. Well, it, it, you know, and, and that was the other part of it too. Like, um, after I had measured it, I was like, holy crap, this is, this is too crazy, you know? And, and I will admit after he told me that I, that 80 inch is the, you know, is the, is the, the low side for Boone and Crockett. Um, I have since measured him a third time. Um, and I came up with 81 and five eights again. Right. Um, so I'm pretty confident that, uh, that he'll go Boone and Crockett. I guess there's a drying period time, you know, that I got to wait on. Um, but since then, you know, I've talked to several, you know, several of my Montana buddies, um, Jordan Gill, Sam Soholt, and, uh, my buddy Ben, uh, good horseman. And, you know, those guys are like, dude, that, that was a solid, solid friggin' antelope, you know? Um, so if the local guys are, are saying that it's solid, then I, I was like, you know what, maybe this thing is pretty, you know, pretty good. But, uh, That's it's amazing the- though. Cause like with those antelope, I mean, there's really, as long as it's a mature antelope, um, they all seem to be right in that area, you know, 76 to 84, you know, right. okay. which, um, doesn't sound like it's a lot. Um, but, it's amazing how just a, a one inch here or one inch there makes, makes all the difference, you know, when it comes to the score. But like I said, at the end of the day, he could have scored 24 inches and I would have been just as happy with it. Um, right. Just knowing what goes into that kind of hunting. And it's so, so different than, 
than any strategy that you and I would apply to whitetails, yeah. uh, you know, to some degree. I mean, there's yeah. some things that are the same. You know, you they can smell you a little bit, um, right. not like a whitetail, but they can they can wind you. And, um, you know, you want to be stealthy and quiet and you want to draw smooth and, and you want to have a good anchor when it comes to the mechanics of archery. But everything else is so different. You know, you it's like you can't really... I, I can't predict those things. I mean, they're a wide open plains animal. Who yeah. knows where they're going to go? Sure, they're going to go to water at some point, but right. I but uh yeah. So it was su- super fun. Um, I'll point this out. So my buddy Jesse, right after we're done and, and we've got him loaded into the truck, you know, and he's tagged up and everything, and and Jesse goes, "Man, we ought to do this again next year." And I said, "Oh yeah," and he's like, "We ought to come out here like." early September again, just like this. And, but let's do mule deer, let's do antelope, let's do elk, you know, let's get one of those big combo tags and just come out here for like two weeks. And I said, well, I can tell you one thing, if I come out for antelope, it's not going to be early September. He's like, Oh, just because it's so hot this week. And I go, no, cause it ain't rifle season. Then if right. I come back out to Montana, I'm killing these jokers with a rifle because <laughs> right. that's, that's the easiest <laughs> way to do it. Yeah, dude. I know. Um, I know. That Golly. Was, but, I mean, uh, go ahead. you know, but now that it's been a, a couple of weeks, I'm already like, yeah, I, I'd, I would definitely go back out there and try that again. You know, it, it, it is a lot of fun. Right. It's you're, I mean, you hit the nail on the head, man. It's just so like hunting out there was so different for me than anything I had ever had ever done. I mean, actually I wanted to ask you though. So you had mentioned they hurt, they were, they hurt up. So like a, a buck will have multiple does, you know, if, mm-hmm. that's, if that's even what they call them, I'm so unfamiliar with antelope hunting. It's like, I'm not even sure the, the right wording to use. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I, I was the same way. I was like, are they bulls or right. are they cows or, and, and you know, no, we have buck and does buck and just does. like whitetails. And, uh, but is it, is it similar, I guess, to elk to where that they have a, a harem of females yep. as opposed to the mm-hmm. white, a white tail where they just kind of hop on a hot doe and it's, that's his, that's his lady friend until the breeding happens and then he's off to the next. So they, they actually herd uh, up like bull or like elk. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just like that. Um, and, and again, this is, you know, like from, so last year when I was out there, it was definitely during the rut, the antelope rut. And you would see one, one good buck and he would be standing and facing his uh, all of his does, and and some of them were facing him, some of them were bedded down, not facing him, but they would almost all be bedded down in kind of a little circle, um, maybe a thirty yard by thirty yard area, and there'd be anywhere from five to twelve, and then he would be off maybe thirty to forty, maybe even fifty yards, standing facing them, um, and if you if you've watched those things enough. I don't know if they're like half asleep, half zoned out. I'm like, what is he staring at? Cause it's like, they can just stare off into outer space for long periods of time and you don't know what they're doing, but, right. but he's like facing their direction and you would see, um, whether it be like a satellite bull or juvenile bucks or whatever, you know, they would kind of come sneaking into the area and then the chase is on. I mean, we're not talking like he would chase them to the point that they ran off. We would watch bucks chase them like a mile. Wow. And be just on their ass, you know, chasing them like get away from my or. And if you would see one of the does start to break loose out of that harem, you know, Mm -hmm. and then he would sprint off, cut her off, round her back up. 
And, um, uh, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. So the downside to that is, is look how many, if you, if they've, if there's 12 does in one buck, I'm like, geez, man, that's 26 eyeballs, you know, that I got to try to beat. And they can see like 280, 290 degrees. I, I mean, it's, it's insane. Um, so we, that was some of the issues that we ran into last year is, uh, then you're limited. Then you're trying to find single bucks or maybe they're juvenile bucks that don't have their own little harem that they've rounded up, you know? Right. Um, so this year they were, uh, there was, we got into a little bit of chasing, um, that fourth day, uh, we shot some footage of, of a good buck chasing, uh, a, a younger buck off, but there wasn't any does around. Uh, so I think it was maybe some pre testosterone, you know, uh, assertiveness going on, but, um, there, there was some bucks that were kind of following does, but nothing like what it was last year later on in the month where it was the hardcore rounding them up. Right. Um, so yeah, a lot more singles and it, and it made it a lot easier wow. to, to get on them, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it's the, it's a happy ending to the, the, to the trip. I can't say, I can't say the same for mine. Um, that it was yeah. as, as happy of an ending. I mean, look, the trip was great. You know, the, you know, for those who maybe haven't, you know, heard the, the podcast where we kind of shared what our trips were going to be. It's mine was a, an elk whitetail mule deer hunt in, in Montana. And it was a two week trip. And we of course drove out and, uh, you know, first off, that's a drive from PA to Montana. (laughs) That was a haul. Yeah. And I'm, I'm in Philadelphia. So it's like, you're talking about like the East coast of PA. It was like, I drove three quarters of the country. Essentially. It was around a 36 hour drive for me from where I'm at. Um, so we made the drive. Yeah, exactly. We, uh, we, we, we made the drive out, um, you know, it took roughly 36 hours and I, I was just pumped, you know, to just to see a lot of that landscape in the country, like to make that drive, just to see things I've not seen before. Um, you know, the, the first dicey moment we had, like the, you know, I'm driving, of course I pulled the overnight drive shift. So like the, you know, whatever it is, like one o'clock till six o'clock in the morning or something like that, which is like the brutal drive shift whenever you're trading off with buddies. And I get in the back of the truck finally to try to take a nap and, we hit Montana and for anyone who's driven that, that route, like once you hit Montana and we were hunting on the Western side of Montana. So it's like, we had to drive across the entire state, which is like a nice 10 hour drive in itself to get across Montana. And we went through an area after I woke up, I kind of woke up and we were seeing all kinds of mule deer along this one road. And it happened to be the, the Crow nation uh, reservation that we were driving through so my cousin's driving and he's like, yeah, we've taken this route before. He's like, you know what? We should take another route. You know, he's like, let's take a more scenic route or whatever. So we got off the road and got on this, you know, whatever other road we were on and we're driving and it turns from asphalt to, to, to dirt, you know? And I'm like, all right, so we're driving on this dirt road and we're just driving and driving and driving. It's just, there's no asphalt in sight. So I'm looking at the gas gauge and I'm like, Hey, I'm like, you think we got enough gas? Because our policy was once we hit like, the Dakotas, I think we stopped anytime we saw a gas station. If we had just under a half a tank of gas, because they've run into situations before where they had under a half a tank of gas and they weren't going to hit another gas station for who knows how long. And like you run out of gas out there. It's like, you're kind of, you're, (laughs) it could be a ways before you find another gas station or a while before someone comes by to help you. And you may or may not have cell service to call anybody. So he's like, yeah, 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 we're okay. And he's like, you know, this road shouldn't be that long. I'm like, all right. So we're driving. It's still dirt. Still, We drove, 
it was like 50 some miles of dirt road. Like we got off the interstate <laughs> to drive on this road and we saw some like just monster mule deer there because you can't hunt only those of the that live on the reservation can hunt that land. Um, it's illegal for anyone else to, if I'm not mistaken. So we just saw some bruise or mule deer. So I got some pic- uh, mule deer that I got some pictures of and we're nearly out of gas at this point. Um, we finally found a gas station on the Crow reservation and it was one of the weirdest gas stations that I've ever seen. First, like everything has a casino in it out there, which is just different for me to see. Um, and they weren't, they weren't super uh, stoked about, uh, some, um, non-local people being at their gas station to put, to put it lightly. So we got our gas and moved on our, our merry way. Uh, we got to my, you know, my buddy lives in Southwestern Montana and he actually has, um, well, he doesn't live there. He has a cabin there and he has, he, he actually lives in, in the Lincoln area and works for the U S forest service. Um, and he has a cabin in, in Southwestern Montana. And so we met up there. That was kind of our rendezvous point to just kind of finish packing up his truck. Cause his dad was coming with us, got the wall tents all packed up and stuff like that. And then we were heading to some BLM land. And so we took off again. It was like a four track, like four wheeler path to this BLM land that we're driving on it. And once we hit the BLM land, it was an hour and a half roughly drive on basically a four wheeler trail into the mountains to get to where we were going to put our, our campsite for the two weeks. So that was like a long haul. One of the trucks overheated on the way. It was just, you know, one thing after another. We finally get there, set up camp, and we're ready to go. Kind of encountering what you had when you first got out there, which was just like ridiculously hot temperatures. I think the first three, two or three days, we were touching like 90 degrees, Um, you know, which made it hard to kind of dress and get ready to go hunt because you would leave in the mornings and you were in in the 40s, you know, so it was chilly out. And then... By mid-afternoon, you were hitting close to 90 degrees, and then whenever you were coming out after dark, when the sun went down, you were back dipping into, like, the 50s again before you got, you know, back to camp or whatever. So, of course, it was kind of difficult to dress for. But, you know, at any rate, we get camp set up. We're ready to roll and uh, get up the first morning all stoked. We go to the glassing point. We start glassing. Well, actually, the first night when we got there, my buddy Luke and I went out. We had a a razor just to kind of get around the, the BLM land more quickly. So we went to this place uh-huh. to glass and we saw, um, we saw one bull in this meadow and then we actually saw a cow that was pretty close. So it's like we had sightings like the first night that we were there just to kind of go glass. We get up the next morning, we hit our glassing point and I want to say that morning we saw five bulls that morning in different meadows that were all like within reach of being huntable. You know what I mean? So sure. we were all pretty stoked. Like that morning we were like, awesome. Like we've got, bugling bulls like they were bugling a little bit in the morning yeah um off to a good start this is a good sign you know this yeah. is a great sign like it's it's right where we wanted to be we were at the right spot it looked like i mean they weren't cranking yet but like we were hearing some bugling so it was like all right they're being vocal at least we saw you know that morning it was a six by six that we saw and a five by five in this one meadow and then we saw a couple others but those were the two of the nicer ones that we had seen so my buddy uh-huh. and i He's like, you know, let's, let's go down. He's like, I've been down in this area before. He's like, let's head down here and see if we can't cut them off. He's like, I think I know where they're bedding. And I was like, all right, and we'll see if we can't, you know, set up a call sequence and try to get them to come in. So we hiked down into this area, which was, you know, I don't know how many miles we, we did that day. It's just all, I mean, everything there is uphill and downhill where we were at. I mean, there was never a piece of flat ground, um, a bunch of blow down and just, you know, scree rock slides and just you know nasty hiking conditions pretty much 
and we're bugling and, and doing some cow calling and stuff like that when we set up to do some sequences and just weren't getting any response like at all. It was like once they left that meadow and got into the, into the, into the dark timber, it's like they just shut off. Like there was nothing. So we kept kind of, you know, still hunting along as we were going and we would stop and we would call and we would stop and we would call. And then finally, like we kind of hiked our way to where he thought they were betting. And sure enough, we found both of both the bulls where they were betting. Um, unfortunately we, we bumped them, you know, which was the unfortunate thing there. But what it told us was they were in that area. Um, you know, so we were on like where they were going to be, you know, the area they were going to be using. And there was, there were two wallows that weren't far from there. Um, uh-huh. so, so the plan really was for me for like the next two days is I was going to hunt that wallow since the temperatures were going to be really, really high. Um, and cause thinking they were going to have to come to water. Um, and it just never, uh, it just never kind of panned out that, you know, seeing, seeing a bull on, on, on that wall and not that they weren't using it. They just, I'm assuming that we were just missing one another. So I think it was the third day we were still had pretty, pretty nasty temperatures. Um, I guess it was the third day before, well, I hunted that wallow the third and the fourth day, I think. So the second day, I think we moved on from that spot, um, to let it rest and we put on this huge hike along this ridge that was just ridiculously long, completely side hill in the whole way. The peak of it was like 9,000 feet. Um, and we had bulls bugling below us and we just couldn't get them to, to move. Like they just weren't moving off of wherever they were at. They weren't, they would respond, but they weren't making any headway in, toward, in, in terms of coming toward us. So we spent that entire afternoon hiking out this whole, this whole mountainside. Um, and I think this day we did about 10 miles this day. So once we got out to this final meadow, we we both kind of looked at each other and we did one last calling sequence and the bulls just weren't now responding at all. And so, you know, we just kind of looked at each other and he's like, you know, I was like, do you want to walk back through this timber to get back to, you know, back to, to camp? You know, I was like, or do you just want to like make the nasty pool up over this, <laughs> up over this summit and just hike the spine out? Cause at least then it'll be flatter and we can hike the spine out to get back to where we need to go. He's like, let's just make the nasty pool up to the top. He's like, and then we'll hike the spine out. So that's what we plan to do. Dude, there were so many false summits <laughs> on the way up this thing. Like every time uh-huh. I thought we were getting to the top, it was just like a peak before you could see the next peak. Like, and it was just like, and there were like four of those. And at the end, it was like we were at 9,000 feet and some change on this scree the rock slide. We crest over it, and I'm huffing and puffing because we just, you know, hoofed this whole thing. And I just happened to look up, and there's a huge mule deer standing 40 yards in front of me. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, there's a mule deer right yeah. there. I, you know, right. I, have my, I have my bow. You're like, I have a tag for that. I yeah. have a tag for that. <laughs> I was so tired. It was one of those things where it was like it took me a second to like – like for my brain to like register what I needed to do next. Uh, so I arranged uh-huh. him real quick. He, he, we didn't like spook. I mean, he saw us, right? So he started just kind of like walking away and I arranged him at first and he was 40 yards and he moved again. And then he was at like 50 yards. And it's like, I was comfortable out to 60 and he pretty quickly got to 60 and beyond. So, you know, we decided it was like, just we'll let him kind of walk until he's just far enough away. Cause there was, there was basically a saddle between this summit and the next summit over on the spine and so, you know, we both kind of looked at each other and I was like, he's probably going to kind of dip down on that saddle. And I was like, you know, we both agreed that if we back out after he turns his back, we can probably run around that point, get over to that saddle, which is exactly what we did. Get over there, 
take my shoes off and then try to put on a stock to get down over the point to see if I can get a shot at him. And I did that. Mm-hmm. And just kind of like you were talking with that antelope, it's like, I don't know what happened, man, but he was like Kaiser Sosa. He just like vanished like a fart in the wind was gone. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know where he went, like nothing. Like he should have been right where I, you know, stalked into. So I put my boots right. back on and, you know, my buddy had my camera and it was like, it was one of those ones where we were actually going to get it on film if it happened. And, uh, so we decided, it was like, all right, well, this isn't happening. Let's just go ahead and hike back out. So we put my boots on and we start hiking back out. And then don't you know, like we hike maybe like a hundred yards and he's standing 40 yards in front of us again. Like, like, <laughs> and I'm like, there he is. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. And I range him and he's at like 40 yards and he's at 50 yards. And I went to full draw on him and I'm standing there and I'm thinking, I'm just like, and I was just losing so much daylight at this point it was like, I just didn't think that I could make an ethical shot at that point with the the type of light that I had. So I Mm -hmm. drew down and it was just one of those things where if I had probably another 40 minutes of daylight, we probably would have tried, been able to get an arrow in him, at least a shot at him. Um, but just ran out of daylight. So we ended up coming back to camp and that was kind of like the highlight of that day. And then the next two days I actually ended up hunting that wallow. Um, didn't see anything on that, but the last day that I was in there, my buddy, uh, we had walkie talkies that way if we were happy, cause we basically hunted in groups of two the entire time we were there. And that way, uh-huh. you know, if, when you were in a group of two, if you wanted to split up from one another and you were going to hunt, you know, different drainages and you were going to kind of still hunt because they just weren't bugling the entire time that we were out there, that we just weren't getting a lot of response. So we were basically having to hunt them straight up. Like you were saying, like Cherokee style, like, you know what I mean? It was, or, or crow style, maybe like in that, in that region. But um, we were having to do just straight up spot and stock and still hunt, you know, walk 10 yards, stop and look and stand there for a couple minutes. You know, that was basically like the entire type of hunting that we were having to do um, and basically trying to find their bedding areas and trying to stock in on them while they were in their, while they were bedding during the course of the day. That was really our option if they weren't bugling in the morning or the evening. Um, so we had walkie talkies and they got to a point to where they could actually radio me and said, Hey, you know, it was, I got in there in the morning. They're like, Hey, lunchtime, why don't you come on out? You know, we're going to, we're going to pull camp and get out of here. So essentially these guys have hunted this area for like the past five or six years and they've seen not much hunting pressure there at all. And this year they saw more hunting pressure than they've ever seen. Like there's been more guys there. We've seen more trucks and, you know, more ATVs and stuff like that. So I got out of there and, and and weather was getting ready to come in too. And I don't know, you know, how familiar you are. It's like, I saw a little bit of it, but like the, the, like the, the dirt that's there, the soil that's there is so fine because where we were at was the Southwestern portion of Montana. It's I guess technically considered the high desert. The dirt there uh-huh. is so fine that it's almost just like dust. So any amount of water that you get on, it just turns it into like, like a gumbo that just sticks to everything and there is no traction whatsoever in it. Like, it's just, there's not like there's rocks in it to where it actually, well, it's mud, but like you can get traction. It's just like grease. And oh yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like really slimy. Yeah. Yeah. It's just nasty. So, you know, my, our, my buddies were like, you know, we're not getting any, there's no, there's not a lot of bugling going on. And we think it's because there's a lot of guys in this area. Like we're seeing more guys than we've seen in a long time our bull sightings in the mornings when we would do glassing just completely dried up. Like we weren't even seeing bulls and not getting hardly any bugling. So they were like, we're going to pull camp and we're going to get out of here. And you know, Luke lives uh, right there around the Dillon area um, is where his cabin's at. And so basically he's like, we'll just go back there. And he has a, like a woodshed 
a log woodshed that he has set up with like a wood stove and stuff. And he was like, you guys can just throw your cots in there and use that as base camp. He's like, and we'll hunt from the cabin. Now the bummer was, was that, you know, we got into some better hunting areas, but now instead of like a 15 minute hike or, you know, a a quick side by side ride to like the, to the drainage you want to hunt for the day, it was now like an hour to an hour and a half drive to get to whatever mountain range you wanted to hunt for a day. And then however many of miles you had, had to hike in at that point. You know, so some of the areas that we looked at were really just walk-in only areas because we thought that would keep guys away from wanting to hunt it just because it was a little tougher to get in. You couldn't drive in or anything and use ATVs. So we hunted a lot of those areas. You know, so the, the rain came in the one day and it just poured rain. That day I had my best bull sighting. We hiked to the top of this mountain. It was 9,000 feet. And uh, the morning was actually pretty nice. And then we got to the other backside of this mountain and we could smell smell the elk in the one area but we just couldn't see them which was odd because anytime we smelled them we would usually see them we got to the top mm-hmm. of this mountain down the back side of it took a little break for lunch and then decided to split up in, into pairs again and i was hunting with my buddy matt this time and we got to this these two drainages and we both were just kind of like you know if we're all if we're going to hunt these drainages down it doesn't make sense for us to hunt together let's just split up we'll each take a drainage and we'll meet at the bottom at the end of the day and then there was like this small like little like cattle road that you could see from the point. And we were like, let's just make that our rendezvous point, you know, before dark. And that's, and we'll figure out a way to hike out of here. So I was like, all right. So he's like, which way do you want to go? I was like, I'll go left. I just picked left arbitrarily. He's like, all right, I'll go right. So we head off, we split up. It wasn't five minutes and I'm walking. So sometimes when you still hunt, you're looking down these drainages. If they're really narrow drainages, like you don't want to get sucked to the bottom of these drainages. Um, One, you're going to make a lot of noise Two, just like whitetail. Like they're probably going to bed three quarters of the way or part of the way up the side of the drainage, you know, up the side of the ridge. So you don't want to get below them. You want to try to stay above them. So I was walking a meadow's edge. And when I say a meadow's edge, it wasn't really a meadow, just grass on a steep grade going down the side of a mountain. And the the drainage was narrow enough that I could see both sides of it. So I was just kind of walking along that and I would, you know, walk 10 yards and I would stop and I would just kind of scan and look. And I walked and I was scanning and it was maybe five minutes and I looked to my right and there was a really nice six by six that was just standing there looking at me. And we both happened to see each other at the same time. I had enough time to range him and he was at 60 yards and he blew out and that was it. Um, which was kind of a bummer because it was one of those things where kind of like what you were saying earlier, where it was like, I was like, man, I was like, is that going to be the only opportunity that I'm going to have like to have an elk in range this entire trip? And I just completely blew it. You know, it's like, I didn't even get it. You know, I mean, there wasn't really anything I could do about it. It was just the conditions that we were hunting in. It wasn't like I could call to him or anything like that because we, we had been calling the, you know, as we were hiking into that spot and we were getting no response whatsoever from anything. Um, so there wasn't like I could do a whole lot about it. The only thing that, would have helped me as if I just would have seen him 10 seconds earlier, I would have had an opportunity, but you know, that's, you know, just wishful thinking. So we get sure. to the bottom and it's one of those things where it's like the, the hunting has been pretty tough. I get to the bottom of that drainage and I'm waiting to meet up with the rest of the guys and it just starts pissing rain. Like <laughs> the, aside from seeing that really nice bull, the best thing that came out of that day was that my Sitka rain gear worked to perfection and I stayed dry. That was the best thing that happened like on that day, basically <laughs> was that I stayed dry. Like, and I can absolutely vow, like I've never had ring gear that actually worked and that ring gear works. Um, uh-huh. so nice. I hiked to this tree that we said we were going to meet at and we're like, all right, let's get out of here. So 
after all that, my feet were wet, of course. It was a four mile hike out still, like to get back to like where we parked the truck. So we, we hike out. The next day, it was supposed to snow like crazy. We got up the next morning, and it was just like, it was basically a whiteout. Like, you, there was no way to go really do much of anything. It was supposed to ease up in the afternoon, so we waited until the afternoon until the snow eased up a little bit. We tried to get into some areas to, to hunt, but just some of those access roads to get in, I mean, you know, you, you live in a super rural area. It's basically like a four-wheeler path that you're trying to get through that nobody plows or anything like that. So it's, you know, and some of those some of those roads have sheer, sheer cliffs on both sides. And it's like, if you, oh, yeah. if you lose traction, it's like, you're just kind of out of gas. You know, and you just hope there's a tree close to the top of that <laughs> drop off <laughs> to stop you. Stop you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we made it part way up this one mountain and we all just kind of looked at each other and it was getting kind of dicey. And we were like, well, we can get out and throw the chains on and, and try to make the rest of the way up this mountain. But there's no guarantee that when we get up there, that well, number one, that we'll be able to get up there and end up having to back 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 down. And none of us like yeah. the proposition of that. So that day was a wash. The next day we went back to where I saw that nice six by six because that same day that I saw that six by six, my buddy Matt saw, he saw seven bulls on his hike through that drainage. So there were bulls in there. They just weren't bugling because he saw, I think he saw seven bulls. I saw one. I saw one earlier. So I saw two two that day. And then, um, and then my cousin and our, our buddy Luke, they saw, you know, for public land, saw a really nice bull. Uh, they, they, they ended up finding a wallow and, uh, uh-huh. they just happened to sit down there to take a rest or take a break hiking and, uh, you know, find a place to take a break. Cause it's a, you know, attractive place to kind of sit down and a bull actually happened to walk by. He just never got a shot at him. Um, but he was a, a bull that was over 300 inches and just never got a shot, um, which is a great public land bull. Um, so we were like, you know what? We know there's bulls in there. Let's go back. That's, you know, and there's nobody there. Like we saw no human sign. It was a four mile hike in just to get to where you would want to hunt to like to where the drainage is started, you know? Um, so we made the four mile hike in like bitter cold that morning, foot of snow. That day I ended up doing 15 miles in knee deep snow at 9,000 feet of elevation. That was like, you want to talk about, you know, you know knock your stuff in the dirt <laughs> that day. Yeah. yeah. I, I had nothing left, man. We got to the, we got to this mountaintop and I dug a hole in the snow to get out of the wind. I laid my rain gear on the snow and put my pack behind my head and I passed out for two hours. Like just like oh, yeah. out cold, took a nap. Yeah. Um, I'm thinking that day, actually, my cousin had a shot at a bull at 18 yards at 18 yards and still couldn't get a shot. Cause all he could see was he could see ass and antlers was all he could see. And the right. bull had no clue he was there. And at one point, for whatever reason, you know, animals always seem to have this sixth sense, sixth sense. The bull looked over his shoulder at him. And usually when an animal goes to look at you, if you're behind them, they'll turn and give you a shoulder. Sure. Never gave him a shoulder and he blew out of there and was gone. Um, so, you know, in all, the hunting was pretty tough those couple of days. We ended up moving to a different mountain range altogether, which was the hike wasn't quite as far in, but the pool was pretty nasty up over the top. Again, it was, you know, right around 9,000 9, feet, 9,200 feet or something like that. But down the back side mm-hmm. of it was some really good dark timber. So we ended up getting in there and splitting up. Um, you know, my cousin and our buddy went one way, and then me and my other buddy went the other way. And, uh, 
once we got down in there, we started calling and immediately we had bulls respond. And so we were like, all right, this is good. This is the best response we had the entire trip that we were out mm-hmm. there. And so we had three bulls that were working. One was just to the left of us and below. One was directly below us, below us and one was to the right and below us. And so we just kind of stood there. We bugled back a few times, did some cow calling just to see who was going to respond. It sounded like the one to the left and below us was a herd bull, and he wasn't making a move. Like, he wasn't coming. It sounded like the one in the center was just moving away from us, but the one to the right, it sounded like he wanted to play a little, like he was willing to play ball. So mm-hmm. we moved, we started walking or stalking toward him, calling, and then he ended up moving away from us. And so we just kind of paused and kept calling. He would respond and and then his responses kind of slowed down a little bit. And then we walked a little closer toward him and then let out a bugle just to see if we could get something to kick up again. And he responded right away. And now it sounded we were about the same distance away that we originally were. Like we closed the distance and he didn't really move away. So he was probably about sure. 100, 100 yards away. And uh, so at that point, we were like, you know what? the hunting's just been really tough. We're just going to be aggressive. Like we're just going to have to go after it. So our plan was, is basically I'm going to, I'm going to call cow call or bugle or whatever the case is. He's like, whenever he bugles and responds back, we're basically going to run like as like 20 yards, like run as far as you can run until he stops bugling. Cause when he bugles, he's not gonna be able to hear you. He's not gonna be able to hear mm-hmm. you. So that's basically what we did until we started closing the distance. And then really what it was, was like we basically cracked his safety zone. And once we cracked his safety zone, he started coming toward us. Like he just needed to get to I, what I think it is. And I, I'm not an expert in hunting elk. I think he was, oh, he of course was a satellite bull, but I think that he didn't want to come in on a herd bulls cow thinking he was going to get his ass kicked. But if the yeah. cow was willing to come to him and not and, and move away from the herd bull, then he felt a little bit safer about not, you know, getting into a fight with someone who was going to whoop him. You know what I mean? Uh, so yeah, what, makes sense. Right. Exactly. It's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So we got, you know, we closed the distance to probably, you know, maybe 60 yards and my buddy, you know, lets out a call again and he responds and like, you can hear he's coming now. Like he's, he's closing the distance. And so my buddy was trying to get me in a position to take a shot cause he was the one who was calling. So he was, he grabbed, you know, he leans over and grabs me. He's like, Hey, I want to, I'm going to move you over to here. I'm going to move back a hundred yards and call. And I just, you know, grabbed his shoulder and stopped. And I was like, he's standing right there. Like I could see him. Like he was 40 yards away. Like I could see a rack. I could see the whole, his whole body. And so we couldn't move at that point. And so he, he kept walking closer and closer and closer. He got to about, 30 yards and just ripped out a bugle and just screamed at us. And just, you just like, I mean, that was the, probably the coolest thing of the trip was to watch that animal. Just like, I mean, it just, you hear stories of like, whenever you like, I guess seeing it on TV or hearing it on TV just doesn't do it justice. When you're standing there right in front of them, they do that. It's just like, it's a sound that just like goes completely through you. Like you can feel oh, yeah. it. You can feel it in your chest. You know what I mean? Like just like the tone and just like the gravitas of like their, their, their bugle. And so mm-hmm. he's standing at 30 yards and just like rips out a bugle and he's stepping closer to us. Now I couldn't move to get a shot. So my buddy was standing to the left of me. I was directly to the right. I mean, we were literally standing a foot apart from one another. one another. There was a shooting uh-huh. lane to the left and there's one right in front of me too. So it just happened to be whatever way he made a move, whoever had the clear shooting lane first was going to take a shot. And that's what we agreed to when we went on the trip was there was going to be four of us all hunting together at different times. You know, we all share the meat, you know what I mean? So, and we all help each other pack out. And so we don't 
whoever has the shot, take it. Don't try to, don't pass it up so someone else gets the shot opportunity. Sure. You know, don't yep. look a gift horse in the mouth, essentially. So we're standing there and he walks in and he's at 26 yards now. And now he looks right at me. You know, my buddy's already at full draw and I'm trying to get drawn. And I'm like, half, like, this is the worst because I drew my bow back halfway and couldn't finish the draw. So I go, so I'm holding my bow like all 65 pounds at half draw, like just standing yeah. there, <laughs> waiting for him to like, move his head so I can finish my draw cycle. He moves his head and looks like to his left, kind of behind him away from us. I finish my draw cycle. I pull back. I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting. And then he passed my buddy's shooting lane. He released, hit him. I saw the arrow hit him, like, you know, hit him. It was a good shot, of course. Um, and he, he just, he, it was weird. I was expecting like a whitetail reaction, like a big kick, you know, like when you really hit the money yeah. shot with a whitetail, it's like you get that yeah. big kick and, he didn't do anything but like just kind of jerk and twit and like turn to his left like away and broke right. the arrow off. But you could see that he had in, you know, like a good man, I don't know, probably like sixteen, eighteen inches of arrow that was that was in there and was stuck in him. Sure. And he didn't run away. Like I was expecting him to run. Like he just turned, he jumped, turned, and then just started walking away really slow. And we both looked mm-hmm. at each other at the same time. And I just said, I was like, that's a that's a dead elk. I was like, he's hurt, yeah. you know, started walking away and he looked at me and he's just like, he's like, he's sick. He gets back about 40 yards and you just see his back legs give out, hit the ground. We waited for about a half hour, walked up, found good blood. He walked. So in total, when he dropped, he was 40 yards from us. He was shot at 26 yards. He made it maybe 20 yards before he piled, before he piled up and then slid down this side of the mountain. Um, sure. once we caped him out and, you know, started quartering him out and stuff like that, we pulled the heart out and my, my buddy shot him straight through the heart. I mean, if anyone follows uh, the truth from the stand Instagram page, there's a picture on there, but he made a perfect heart shot where that dude was dead on his feet after the shot. Yeah. Just didn't know it. Um, that's nuts. I, yeah. I would like to say that's where the adventure ended. So that was on a Sunday and my buddy, you know, he's, he's, he's a little nuts you know, we're getting ready to pack in on Sunday. Like I pack stuff in cause I'm not used to that terrain. So it's like, I'm like, I take stuff in to like plan to stay the night if I have to, <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause I'm like, what well, if yeah. something happens and I got to stay the night, it's like, I want to make sure I got food, something to make a fire, like all that stuff. So we're getting ready to leave the truck before we do that hunt. And he's like, Campbell, it's no pack Sunday. I'm like, what? He's like, no pack Sunday. He's like, we're going in light. We're going in lethal. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, if we don't take anything to to take care of something after it's killed. He's like, we'll kill something tonight. And I'm like, dude, you can go with your no pack Sunday all you want. I was like, I'm taking a pack with like an extra jacket yeah. and something to drink. You know what I mean? I was like, right, right. like, whatever. So sure enough, we get in there and he shoots it. So we only have one pack. He doesn't have a knife. He doesn't have anything. Right. So, I, so good thing oh, I had my geez. pack because I at least had a knife and stuff like that. We start, you know, we, sh- he was shot at six 30 you know, and we didn't walk up on him till just about seven, you know, and we're in the timber and it gets dark out there right around. I think you could probably have shooting lights to maybe eight fifteen If you're on a meadow, if you're in the timber, it's your shooting lights probably gone by like quarter to quarter to eight, probably. Um, sure. So we get down and we start caping him out and, you know, or you start quartering him up and stuff. And I'm like, you don't have a pack. How are we get this thing out of here? And he's like, well, give me your pack. I'll carry the heavier quarter. So we took that night. We took out a hind quarter and a front shoulder, which I made a drag rope and drug it and partially carried it on my shoulder out. So it was a partial drag and partial carry. So of course he doesn't have a light either. So now it's pitch black dark 
And I'm like, all right, I got a headlamp. So let me get my headlamp out, put my headlamp on. It's a two mile walk back. So we have to scale the other backside of this mountain to get up on the point of the mountain to walk back down the other side in the snow. Cause remember it snowed a foot, you know, two days prior to this, we get about 20 yards and my batteries and my headlamp died. Oh no. Yeah. So we are in the timber on the side of a mountain with the fresh kill, uh, one pack and no light to walk out in the pitch black dark for two miles. <laughs> oh my gosh, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, it was, I mean, we made it, we, yeah, of course, you know, I'm here, so we made it, but, uh, it was not a, it was not a pleasant, a pleasant pack out, but, uh, spirits were high when we got to the truck because it was finally someone put something on the ground, which was good. The next day we ended up all going back to that area and hunted our way back to the kill site. And that was actually probably the best day, man. Like the best, I guess the memory that I'll take from that trip, you know, that was the coolest time was the four of us all going back to the, to where, where we made the shot and all of us chipping in to help, you know, uh, quarter that animal out, you know, quarter him up and, and pack him out. And we made, we made a bonfire and stuff like that because it was really cold that morning. We made a little fire. That way we'd have somewhere to keep warm. And we took some backstrap off the off the elk immediately and put it on some sticks and cooked uh, cooked fresh elk meat, you know, over an open fire for lunch. So we'd have something to eat for lunch and stuff like that. And none of us were really concerned with hunting much that day. We were really just more concerned with just, you know, we all just kind of looked at each other and was like, you know, so many times like you, you make a harvest and then it's just like a rush to get it out of the woods because either it's the temperature or you got, you know, you don't have the next day to do anything to hunt or whatever. But this was a, an opportunity that we had to just kind of enjoy each other's company and all kind of just take in the experience and just be with each other in this awesome place. And so that's exactly what we did. We spent the day there just kind of hanging out. We made like little places for ourselves to sit and we just hung out and talked and butchered the, you know, butchered the elk up and, ate fresh elk meat and shared stories and laughed and, um, yeah. and just had a good time, man. And that was probably the best part of the, uh, of the trip was that, uh, w- was that day. Cause that was just a, you know, that's something I'll remember for a long time was just the, the shot, the kill, the pack out, the pack out in the dark, hanging out around that campfire the following day, you know, making, you know, making all the, the, the the butchering requirements you know, take place and um, and do all that so that was that was really the trip man I mean we we hunted for a couple of days after that um, but you know we had a couple mule deer encounters um, you know that we went to full draw on but just couldn't seal the deal and and then it was a long thirty six hour drive home so different than yours where you were all jazzed up and could have drove you know three quarters of the country I did drive three quarters of the country and it was a quiet drive. <laughs> <laughs> Right. But I wouldn't trade it for anything, man. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm already, we're already planning to, to go back next year and make a hunt. My one buddy, I think he's actually going to go back out in November for a gun hunt. I mean, if we were hunting rifle out there, we would have killed bulls probably in a, all of us would have killed bulls probably in the first three days. Um, cause we uh-huh. did see a couple of the first, you know, the first day and then we would have had some, some mule deer, you know, on the ground too. Cause we definitely had close enough encounters for that. My cousin missed the mule deer at about 60 yards. Um, but yeah, man, that was the uh, that was the trip, and now I'm back here getting after getting after whitetails, trying to see if my whitetail season doesn't turn out any better than than my elk hunt. So fingers crossed for that. That's pretty cool, man. That's do that. I mean, you know, and that's a long time to be out there. That's mm-hmm. um, 
And, and, you know, we, I know we both kind of talked about it, um, before we left and, and talked about the importance, um, I guess maybe the, maybe the mindset of Mm -hmm. hunting in the East and the West, um, can be a little different. You know, you have to, to me, Western hunting, um, you know, sure, you got to be on your A game and you got to be proficient and you got to be good and you got to be skilled outdoorsman and hunter. And, um, but your temperament or the mood or whatever is so much more important when you're out there camping and you're, especially if you're with hunting buddies, um, you're with those guys like 18, 20 hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. In close if everybody's quarters. head's not in the right place, talking about getting sick of somebody real quick, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's the good thing too, man. It's like the group of guys that I go with are just top notch dudes. It's a lot of laughs, a lot of fun. Um, we're all pretty serious hunters, you know what I mean? So there's, there's some moments where, you know, we take things kind of seriously. Um, you know, there's definitely some, you know, uh, cursing and anger <laughs> that occurs, you know, during the course of a hunt, just with, how certain things unfold and stuff like that. But by and large, um, you know, by and large, it's like, you know, everyone, I mean, we enjoyed each other's company and stuff like that. So there wasn't, there's not a, there wasn't a guy in camp that I wouldn't go spend two weeks in a tent with, you know, put it that way. Um, you know, and you're definitely right, man. The mindset has to be, it's just, it's just different. You know, it's one of those things where, I mean, there's a different, there's a mindset you have to have to grind out like a long white tail season, whatever you're doing, you know, say you're going to go do, you know, say you're a guy like me and you, in, in your, you have vacation time you're going to take to go hunt and you're going to go do, you know, hunt in Ohio, you know, like I like to do. And it's like, I've got eight days to try to make it happen. It's like, I'm going to grind out eight to 10 days of all day sits. You know what I mean? And like some days are good. Some days aren't good. You might only, depending on where you're at, you might only see a handful of bucks. You might not see a shooter at all, but you're going to grind out, you know, eight, 12 hour days or, you know, or more in a stand. You know, like that's one type of hunting that's tough when you get out like in that Western style hunting, it's like, it's the grind of like, it's so, it's so hard because you can see, you see animals, right? You see them. Like I would say that I see more animals than I do when I like Western hunting than I do whitetail hunting, but there's so much more involved to try to get close enough to get a shot. You know, because there's always mm-hmm. an opportunity because you can move in closer. Whereas whitetail, it's kind of hard. Like it's like they're either going to come, you either set your right stand location or you didn't. You know what I mean for that particular area. Um, out west, it's like you have to have the mental toughness to say I'm going to make that stock because there are some days like after you've hiked ten miles and now you spot a bull over the, on the next mountain. It's like, do you want to make that five mile hike to maybe have an encounter and possibly get a shot? Uh huh. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's just, and it weighs on you, you know what I mean? Because part of it is, is like, you have to be honest with yourself. It's like, can I get over there? Can, physically, am I going to be able to get it done? You know what I mean? Can I yeah. get over there in time? You know, number one, two, once I get over there, am I going to have enough, uh, you know, oomph to actually like have my wits about me to make the shot, you know? And then sure. three, it's like, if I do, you know, make the shot, do I got enough gas in the tank to make the hike out and make the pack out and then possibly have to come back and pack out the second half that same night and have an all night pack out. Right. You know, it's like, that's the, that's the, that's the cost to play that game out there. You know what I mean? And and as, um, you know, white tail seasons have opened up and, um, I, I've sat one, uh, one time in Iowa so far, it was just a very, very, um, 
non-invasive sit, um, mm-hmm. a place I could get into and I could watch a huge, huge, big alfalfa field um, and, and glass stuff. More That was more the reason for it. Um, but I have hunted uh, several times down in Missouri uh, this season. And and I'd, I would be lying if I didn't say that there's been some of my sits where I'm like, I feel like I should climb down and see if I can put a stalk on that whitetail over there. You know, like (laughs) (laughs) I'm sitting in a tree stand and like just what you were saying, I'm kind of married to this tree stand set right now. And the deer on that side of the food plot, I don't know if they're going to come this way. And if they don't come this way, there's really not a lot I can do about it. Um, Yeah. So it is kind of, it is kind of different. I've actually had a, a few of those thoughts already this year where, I yeah. think um, I do think that it's going to change uh, change a little bit of my style of hunting. Uh, I, I do I do see myself maybe getting a little more aggressive this mm-hmm. year uh, with my some of my run and gun sets. Um, mm-hmm. I'll probably do more than I than I've done in the past. Right. I'll well, probably hang and hunt a lot more than than I have before. Right. Well, speaking of whitetailing and get, getting aggressive, how's uh, I know we talked a little bit about off air before we hopped on to re- record how your set mm-hmm. went tonight. But, uh, you know, how's, how's everything kind of shaken out for you? I know you, you've hunted in Missouri a little bit. I know we texted back and forth a little bit whenever you were in the, in the tree in, in, in Missouri. And, and of course we caught up a little yep. bit today about your hunt today, but what's overall, how's the, uh, how are things panning out? Um, you know, last year was my first year in Iowa and opening day, the second day, the third day of the season, I was in a tree. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't getting real aggressive. I was hunting some field edges and stuff, but still, nonetheless, I, I came running in, you know, charging in. Um, this year, my strategy was stay out of the woods a lot of September, keep the camera soaking, start to transition the cameras over to some scrapes, mock scrapes, field edges, um, you know, things like that. But, um, I have sat some in Missouri. I have I have access to a property in Missouri for the first 30 days of the season. And it's supposed to be kind of an exclusive thing. Uh, no one's supposed to be in there. And I had some pretty decent mid-40s. Um, one was kind of an upper 40s deer that I had patterned pretty good um, through August and early September. And then I started getting pictures of another hunter that was uh, hanging all of his ladder stands uh, that he, he rifle hunts it later on in the year. Um, mm. And I haven't gotten any pictures of any mature deer since then. So that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. But knowing that I've already purchased a $225 non-resident tag and I, I'm kind of vested um, – I helped the landowner out with his uh, providing some soybeans and, and stuff like that this year. So I'm kind of vested in this property. I thought, well, I'm going to go sit and, you know, see what I see. Um, I've been seeing a lot of does. Uh, it's been pretty warm um, for the first part of the season here that it opened. And uh, like it's been a lot of the Midwest and even in PA and stuff. So yeah. it's been pretty warm. Wasn't getting a lot of deer activity, getting some does and some little uh, one and two year old bucks that were coming out right at last light, you know, that last 30, 45 minutes, kind of typical stuff for this time of year. But, um, the pressure was raising, it was rising all day today. We've got a big, uh, a couple of days of thunderstorms that are going to roll through Iowa starting tonight. So I said, you know what, I'm going to go back out there and, and sit and, um, 
you know, see see if it, it, it some some bucks get up on their feet and move around into uh, into this clover plot. So I sat on a clover plot tonight, and nothing, man, mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. I'm looking at my watch, and I'm like, we've got maybe five ten minutes of shooting light, and that's it. I'm about to get skunked. And as soon as I looked up, I see one little spike buck come bounding into the clover plot, and then. He looks over his shoulder, and of course, you know, you get excited because I'm like, well, who's next, you know? <laughs> and next on to the stage right. is, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, a good, solid, mid-50s, four-year-old, just a clean 10, uh, really, really good mass, great, great deer. Um, he comes stepping out into this clover plot. I range him immediately. He's at 75 yards. He walks a little closer. He gets to 70 and there's a scrape that's exactly 50 yards from me. And, it, and, and I noticed it on my walk in. Um, it was it was fresh. Mm-hmm. So we had a little bit of rain this morning. So I'm, my first thought was those those bucks, one of those bucks is going to go over there and, and, you know, fresh and hit that scrape again after this rain that we had this morning in theory. Right. And they start um, they all kind of start. There was actually two other little bucks, uh, two. um uh, you know, twenties, one might've been a, a thirties buck, but, uh, two slash three-year-olds, probably two-year-olds. Mm-hmm. And they start working their way towards that scrape as well. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. I've still got five minutes of shooting light left and I only need them. I, I need him to walk another 10 yards and I'm good. And he'll be in that 50 to 60 yard range. And, and I feel comfortable, you know, taking that shot. I start to hear some geese way, way off in the distance. And there's a wetland area that's, um, that is in front of me. So I know that's where they're going. They continue to fly overhead. And right when they get directly over top of those bucks, 15, 20 geese all let out their, their honking. And (laughs) I'm sure there's some listeners that are, waterfowl guys right i'm not a waterfowl guy those geese the honking is like an annoying sound to me right um they're as bad as like a sandhill crane um it just it's just i don't know it's annoying to me but um especially after tonight right so they go off they're just honking like crazy directly over top of these bucks and all four bucks they do the like they squat down you know like somebody just shot at them kind of thing you know and they all kind of squat down and they immediately kind of look left, look right, and they just bolt off into the timber. And I'm like, no, 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 what what, what just happened? <laughs> no, that seriously, that really just didn't just happen. Dude, busted the um, geese. I know. And, and and like I said, it's just the the weirdest thing ever. Um, but once they heard the honking, man, it just it Freaked them out. I have no idea what the deal was. I don't know that I've ever had that happen before. Or if anybody else listening's ever had that happen before, but um, that's the only thing I can figure. Like I said, as soon as they honked, they were directly over top of them, and they all four just squatted down like there was a gunshot. You know? Wow. Now is this on? Um, is this on your piece? No, this was down in Missouri. Oh, okay. This is down in Missouri. All right. Yep, down in Missouri, and the clock's ticking. I've got, um, I've got a l- access to that property. Uh, I've got 11 more days and nice. man, I, I don't really want another dramatic hunt 
you know, to come down <laughs> to the last day with my last arrow. I'm right. <laughs> that's not what I'm looking for. Right. But uh, you like you like to I'll, wrap I'll continue this up a to hunt that. Right. You'd like to wrap uh, this up that a little was, quicker if you can. Uh, yes. Yeah. But it was very cool to see that there was, uh, like I said, to see a, a good solid mid fifties buck down there, good mature deer. Um, you know, remember, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm still a Kentucky guy, right? right? I, I can't, I'm not a, I'm not an Iowa native. Uh, I live in Iowa, but I'm not like a native. So I haven't grown up with, with big, big deer, but I can tell you oh, oh, mid fifties deer on a 10 point frame, four-year-old mm-hmm. yeah that gets me excited yeah <laughs> it got me fired up man and yeah. uh i got to reach for my bow for the first time of the whitetail season put it that way and um so that was exciting enough uh, to get to go through the motions like that and you know what it's another reminder because my heart was beating a million oh, miles man. an hour and um so that's that that's what i live for man i'm like you know i hope that feeling never ever ever goes away dude it's you hit the nail on the head there man because like as much as i enjoyed that hunt out west like it's one of those things where i had i didn't have any frame of reference or expectation of what was going to happen so even when we were Mm -hmm. seeing elk and i went to full draw like it just i don't even really recall what what happened you know what i mean to be quite honest like i don't remember like Mm -hmm. this moment of like crazy excitement other than just like after it was done, I was like, Oh, that was awesome. You know what I mean? Like it was, I was excited then. Um, sure. You know, my whitetail season thus far, it's like, you know, kind of similar to you. It's like when I got back from Montana, the weather was just, was super hot when I got home. It was like the Eastern part of the state of PA. I think as we mentioned on, the, on one of the last podcasts, it's, you know, it, it opens earlier than the rest of the state. And then the rest of the state opens at the, usually like the last Saturday of September or the first Saturday of October, depending on how those Saturdays fall. Um, and so I had an opportunity to go hunt right after I got back from Montana, but it was just, the weather was just miserable and I wasn't going to go out and, and sit. And of course I had a honey do list to kind of take care of when I got back and stuff too, which would be probably be a better option for me for my, for my hunting future for the rest of the season. Um, sure. So my opportunity to get out was really opening, opening weekend. And, you know, fortunately here in PA, the weather kind of turned around and we actually had a cold front coming through that weekend. And I'm, you know, with being a, you know, a working guy and, and whatnot, it's, you know, I don't often get to hunt those good cold fronts or the backsides of those good cold fronts, because a lot of times they're not falling on weekends. It seems like they'll fall in the middle of the week or whatever the case is. And I don't really get to reap the benefit of it a lot of times. So, I was really excited about that opening day just because, you know, two reasons really. One was, you know, I was going to get to hunt the backside of the cold front, which meant I was probably going to get a nice high pressure bluebird day, you know, which was, which is good. Um, and then the other piece of it was, was that a lot of the guys that like the archery hunt, you know, our farm or that, that do hunt our, our farm with us during archery season, um, we're going to be out of town. So I was going to kind of have, you know, nobody there. And there really hasn't been any pressure on it for a long time. So we wrapped up our food plots earlier in the year. We only put one fall food plot in. And it's basically been left alone for the most part. I've put cameras in and just kind of let them soak and haven't really touched them much other than the one that's along a field edge that I can get to with my truck easily. Um, mm-hmm. And I was pretty pumped because I got, you know, that deer lucky that I'm targeting. And he's my number one buck to kill in PA this year. And that's the guy that I want to go after. And so I had, you know, picked a stand location probably in like, geez, I don't know, probably like March or April, you know, where I was like, after I had my late season encounters with this deer, I was like, I think I know how I can kill him. Um, 
and kind of put that plan in place. And what you had said earlier were like hunting out West changed your mindset a little bit about how you hunt as far as like hunting aggressively. A hundred percent agree with that because a lot of times, you know, like most good white toe hunters, you know, at the beginning of the season, I'll often hunt a, hunt a property, you know, outside in where I'll kind of nip at the edges during October until we get to later October. And then I'll start maybe making some moves closer to the interior where some of the better spots are and stuff like that. But I'll kind of chalk up the early season to some observation sets and I'm really just trying not to mess anything up, you know what I mean? During the early part of the season. Um, but what I've come to realize is just after hunting the properties that I do hunt that, you know, not everybody hunts them, um, well, I guess I'll say, you know what I mean? Or they don't hunt them the way I hunt them, you know, I guess is is a better way to put it where they're not as Mm -hmm. mindful about their entrance and exit. They're not as mindful about scent control. They're not as mindful about blowing into the interior of a property, you know, opening weekend and stuff like that. So I realized that if I had a pattern on a deer or thought I could kill a deer, like if I need, then I need to move on it. Like I need to hunt aggressively. I need to get into the stand that I think I can see him in and, um, and have a cold front to do it on. So, I actually dove into what I thought would probably be one of my better stand locations, which, you know, some people listening might cringe at that. Um, but based on all the other factors on the property, it's like, this was going to be my best opportunity to have the least amount of pressured deer and least amount of pressured sightings. Um, right. So I didn't hunt the morning. Of course I waited till the evening. So I did go check a camera or two in the morning on, in an area that I don't really hunt much on the mountain. I put cameras there for recon this year to see if there's anything, using this one edge that I was really kind of curious about. And it, you know, I thought there were going to be deer using that edge. I checked my camera, there were zero pictures. And that was like after it soaked for a month. So that pretty much told me what I needed to, <laughs> needed to know there. Right. Um, you know, that was <clears throat> really, it was a recon for next year to see if there's something I should be paying attention to in a different part of the property. Um, did that in the morning and then jumped into a tree stand in the evening, of course, was using a mobile setup, you know what I mean, was because I didn't know what tree I wanted to get into. I just knew the area I needed to be in and uh, got into the tree. I think it was like 2.30. Beautiful day, man. Like it was just, you know, blue skies, five to 10 mile per hour wind, just like exactly what you want. You know what I mean? Just enough wind to where um, the deer aren't skittish to the wind, but they're, and if you have a good wind, they think that the wind's in their favor. And that was kind of the setup that I had where it's like the the wind was almost wrong for me. Um, and almost perfect for the deer, um, from yep. where I was sitting. So it was just like, I couldn't have had a better setup other than I was getting some swirling wind from time to time, which is, wasn't good, but by and large, my prevailing and what I predominantly had during the set was, was what I wanted. And so got in the stand. I was there. She's, I was there 10 minutes the biggest fisher I've ever seen walked out in front of me. So I saw a fisher <laughs> like immediately. Those things make me a little nervous, man. Those things are kind of evil looking. I don't know if you've ever had any encounters yeah. with them that, and they're not pleasant creatures either. So no, no, they're a little bit nasty. Um, yeah. yeah. And so I'm sitting there, you know, watch him for a while and he moves on and I'm sitting there just kind of, you know, taking it all in the first set of the season, you know, and it's about four o'clock and there, of course, there were some squirrels around and stuff like that. And I was listening to them and, um, took some pictures of them and, you know, had my camera with me, of course. And so got some B roll film of them in case I decided to put some type of video together for funsies this year. And, um, I keep hearing this sound behind me and I just chalked it up to being a squirrel, you know, and I just happened to look over my left shoulder and there's a three point standing behind me he's almost under my stand at this point. He's probably at seven yards. I didn't range him. Looked back over my shoulder a little further and there's a four corn over there, four point standing there. And I'm like, 
I was like, and it's like four o'clock. So this is really early. Right. And I'm like, all right. So there's some deer moving. So I grabbed my bow cause lucky had been bachelored up with a group of bucks that he'd been running with for the year it was, for the summer. It was basically him, a nine, like a nine point. It's a really nice deer, three year old, which is a rarity even in Pennsylvania. I think lucky's a four year old. And I think this other deer he's running with is a three year old. And then he was always with, you know, what I call pecker heads, which was just like a, a three, a three point and a, and a four corn. That was usually mm-hmm. what I would see him in the the one food plot in with. So I'm sitting there and just they're kind of poking around behind me. And I just happened to look back a little further and I look a little further behind my left shoulder. And who do I see? Lucky standing at 30 yards with the other nine mm-hmm. point. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I was like, I can't believe that. Like, <laughs> I can't believe I figured this deer out and I knew where he was going to be. And I set the right stand and he's standing 30 yards away from me. For whatever reason, I don't know what happened. I don't know if like another deer, because it turned out that it was those four deer. Then there were two other ones behind them that I didn't see what they were. They could have been does or whatever. I don't know if one of the other deer stepped on a twig or what happened, but that lead little three point that was standing underneath my stand all of a sudden got nervous. And I don't, I don't know what it was, but he didn't blow out. Like he just started doing that. You know how whenever they get like, they just change their mannerisms and they stiffen up and they start backing up. Like they don't turn around. They just start moving backwards. You know what I mean? Yeah. He yeah. started doing that. And I was like, and I couldn't figure out for the life of me what was going on. Cause I was looking around to see like, is there something coming? Is there like another, is there another group of deer that's coming up ahead of me that like, that is making them nervous that they don't know what it is or whatever. And I'm watching him, I'm watching him, and I'm just thinking to myself, I'm like, just please don't blow out of here, please don't blow out of here, please don't blow out of here. I didn't have a shot at Lucky. He was behind brush. He needed to walk maybe another five yards. And if he mm-hmm. walked another five yards, I would have had a shot. If he would have just kept coming on the path he was coming, it would have been a 23-yard shot broadside. And I watched that deer for a while, watched him. He stood behind me for probably five minutes. Didn't snort, didn't stomp, didn't anything, just stood there. Kept my eye on Lucky never moved, just kind of stood, just stood behind me, was munching on some acorns or whatever, you know, I could see that he was chewing. So he was eating something. And then all of a sudden the little three point just decides to turn around and they walk from where they came. And that was it. And I had never been so mad at a group of deer in my life. Um, yeah, I was pretty bummed out, man. Like it was one of those things where like you were saying, like where first time I got to grab my bow and the heart, like was pumping, like got the, the buck fever shake, you know what I mean? Oh, Where, yeah. You know, like got the whole, the whole nine, you know? And, uh, I was just pretty stoked. Like the one good takeaway was, was that I was right about where I thought mm-hmm. he was betting and how he was going to use the property and what terrain features he was going to use and what pinch point he was going to walk through. And so all those things were correct. If he wasn't still bachelored up, if our group, if our properties if our property still wasn't bachelored up at the moment, he would have been a dead deer if he was on his own. Um, sure. But you know, he's a smart deer, you know, he, he let, he let old punky punky three point, take the, take the lead. And, uh, yeah. And that's why he's still, still walking around. So I don't know. I think, you know, I don't know if the, I don't know what it is the weekend of the 15th or something like that, or maybe the following weekend after that, depending on what the weather's looking like, I'll probably get one more hunt for him in October. Um, uh-huh. he usually disappears and goes nocturnal from like roughly around the 19th, 20th, 22nd. Like the only, I start getting only historically getting only, uh, nocturnal pictures of him at that point, And he won't start 
reappearing in daylight until um, usually after like after Christmas, like he'll start showing up in the late, late evenings, you know, and when he gets back on his bed to food pattern is whenever I think he's probably killable again. Um, during rut, yeah. I have no daylight pictures of that deer during rut. It's only early season and late season. So if I don't get it done here in the, like the next two weeks, it probably won't get done until late season if he makes it through rifle season. So I probably have one more hunt for him. Sure. So that was my uh, that was my whitetail hunt, but it was exciting, man. I was st- I was stoked to see him. So I can't I can't complain about it too much. I saw my my target my target buck, which you know I know a lot of folks they will target or pattern a deer and they can go a whole season and not see him in the timber at all. So I feel fortunate from that perspective. Before we continue our conversation, I'd like to take a moment to talk about our partners at Exodus Outdoor Gear. You've heard me talk to guys on this show who shared testimonials about their experiences using Exodus trail cameras. I feel like I should add add to it myself. I can honestly say that Exodus has played a large role in me learning enough about Lucky to hunt him effectively. The quality of the camera gives me the confidence to leave them hang all year round and know that they won't fail. I was able to put a lot of puzzle pieces together on this deer by leaving my cameras up all year this past year. I also let the cameras soak for months on end without worrying about battery life during in preseason and during the season. The additional benefit of this is I keep pressure down in the areas I feel pretty certain Lucky is bedding, feeding, and or traveling. I've not harvested Lucky at this point, but I have seen him in three of the past four hunts, and I can honestly say that my Exodus cameras have played a large role in my sightings. And this, my friends, is an Exodus experience. If you'd like to make an Exodus experience of your own, you can use the promo code TRUTH at checkout and save $20 on a trail camera purchase at ExodusOutdoorGear.com. And now back to the show. Yeah. Yeah. No. And and the buck that I sold tonight, I don't think I've ever seen, uh, I'm going to go back and double check trail cameras. Um, but I'm, I'm 99% sure I've never had a picture of him before. Mm -hmm. And I think we've actually talked about it before where, you know, I'm a firm believer if, if you get for every picture of a buck you get, I'm convinced there's at least two more that you haven't gotten pictures of. Right. Um, even if you're running multiple cameras and, uh, I've never had a picture of this deer or the other two that were behind him. Now the, the, the super spike, I think I sent you a text, uh, last week when I was in Missouri Mm -hmm. and and said that the only thing I saw was a couple of does and like a mega spike. Yeah. Uh, I believe this was that same mega spike. And when those geese started honking, he was the first one. I mean, they all kind of, you know, flinched, but he was the one that bolted out, let out, you know what I mean? Right. And it's kind of like monkey see monkey do. Mm Um, when he took off running, then the rest of them were like, I don't know why he's running, but I'm running too, you know? Right. Um, they just kind of followed. So yeah. I don't know. It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the I'm more- just like, man, <laughs> you know, and you know, and once I, I looked at him and without binos and I was like, man, that looks like a good deer. I really couldn't see his headgear that well. Right. Other than that he had headgear. Um, but I saw a, a big round belly, you know? Right. And yeah. I'm like, that looks like a good deer. And I put binos on him and, and I'm like, you know what? That's, that's a real good deer. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm shooting that deer. So I actually, I did have a guy uh, running a camera for me tonight and I kind of glanced up at him and he was looking down at me and he was running, you know, running video already. And, and I said, I'm shooting that deer tonight. I go stay, stay on him. And, um, I said, just, 
stay on him and you tell me don't shoot if for some reason he steps behind, but he was in an open food plot. So that was going to be highly unlikely right? that we were going to have that situation. So uh, I had kind of already flipped the switch, reached for the bow and um, the heart was pumping, but I wasn't all jittery. Just, it was almost kind of like, you know what, I'm killing that deer right? and kind of locked into that mode or whatever. Um, now, if I had to sit there and watch him for a half hour, then that might've changed a little bit, but, uh, right. But yeah. nonetheless, I was I was ready ready to shoot. Um, yeah, and man. It's. Uh, I thought. I mean, in all honesty, had had the geese not come through there, I was probably going to be coming to full draw within about ten seconds wow. of that. Uh, the the path he was taking, I was like, you know what, screw screw taking a sixty yard shot. I'm just going to go ahead and let him walk on over to that scrape, and I'll you know have a fifty yard shot. You know, right? Yeah, but. Um, yeah, I'm just nonetheless hoping, didn't didn't work out. Yeah, exactly, man. I mean, it's, it's play again. I'm I'm just hoping that my season doesn't turn into the season of near misses because it's like, uh, it, I had the dude. close encounter and you know a couple close encounters or encounters in in Montana, you know, and was standing right beside my buddy who took the took the bull that we were both at full draw on, and then you know, lo and behold, I put a plan in place to try to get after this specific deer. First time in my life I've ever targeted a single deer. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. the first time I've ever put like watched one for multiple years and then put a plan in place. Part of it because PA, it's hard to keep deer around for multiple years. Um, sure. You know, but you know, so it's the first time I've ever picked one out and said, this is the only guy I'm hunting and then actually got on him on the first hunt, you know, and then, yeah. and there's another near miss, you know? So it's, you know, I yeah. couldn't, I couldn't well. see his full, full, um, full rack initially, like what tipped me off to who it was, was when I looked over, it's like, I could see just his left main beam and he's, uh, he's pretty distinguishable cause he's the biggest deer on the property. So it was kind of easy to tell. Um, but he also has a crab claw on his, you know, mm-hmm. left, uh, main beam. It's kind of really tight. Like there's not a big spread in between that crab claw. And so that's kind of his distinguishing feature from a rack perspective. And that's kind of how I knew it was him, um, yeah. immediately. But I'm just hoping it's not the season of near misses. I'll take the near misses so long as like at the end of the season, it's like I've 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 had uh, had success. That'd be nice. <laughs> Two let's see, 2014 season. Um, there was a buck that I was hunting that I called Johnny Cash, and during the month of September, um, I had three encounters with him, all inside of 50 yards, and couldn't get a shot off. Um, and then ended up killing him on October 4th on the fourth encounter. So there is hope. Um, but man, I, you know, after the first encounter, I was like, man, I hope that never happens again. Second encounter. I'm like, okay, I've had two encounters. There's no way I'm going to have a third. Oh yeah. I had a third and I didn't get a shot off. And I'm like, okay, that's it. I'll never see him again. So, um, some of those deer, man, they can be kind of homebodies and, you know, it sounds like you're doing everything right with your entry, exit, and scent control. I mean, you might be surprised. I mean, I'm not saying that you're, you're going to end up having four encounters and, and then kill him. Hopefully, you don't have to go through that. But right. uh, rest assured that there, uh, it, it, it can still happen. So yeah. you did your homework. You found him once. Now now you just got to get on him a second time. Yeah. And I feel good about seeing him, you know, if I, if I get the decent weather here in October again. I feel good about possibly seeing him again only because – I mean, some of the other guys I hunt the property know that he's there. Um, now, 
you know, I've, I've told them that, that he was there. Cause I, I mean, I shot the, I share the trial camera pictures with them. I mean, one of them was my father-in-law. So it's like, I shared the stuff with him, but they did ask me where I was sitting. Cause I kind of left without anybody knowing I was leaving to go hunt that afternoon. You know what? My one, mm-hmm. my one buddy was there. Um, and when people were asking me where I was going to hunt down there, since I knew no one else was really going to be down there, you know, I told him a couple of different places that I was going to go, you know, I mean, none of, none of which were where I was actually going. <laughs> and, um, and then, best way to do it. Yeah. And then after I, <laughs> after I saw, after I, you know, had the encounter or whatever, you know, um, I got asked, how was your, how was your hunt? And I was like, I saw, I saw lucky. And, you know, one of them was like, really? I was like, yeah. And I was like, and that big nine point that's running the property too. And they're like, really, where were you sitting? And I was like, I'm not telling. Like, <laughs> I was just yeah. like straight up, like, I'm not telling you where I was sitting. I was like, exactly. And so then it was funny cause I had a subsequent, uh, you know, follow up <laughs> chat with, with that person. And they, uh, they were asking me about, cause they weren't there that weekend. They were asking me about like, well, did you check the camera here? Did you check the camera? Cause they were trying to see where I went and where I didn't go. You know, they're uh-huh. trying to narrow down. So everywhere they asked me, I went, I said, yeah, I was there. I walked through there. Oh, yeah. I walked through there. Yeah. I walked through there. So it made it sound like I was all over the property. <laughs> sure. <laughs> trying to That's throw, hilarious. trying to throw them off my trail. I was like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I was like, you don't, you know, I'll tell you at the end of the season what I know. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, you, I mean, seriously though, like when there's multiple people in an area and, and stuff, um, you know, some, sometimes you got, you got to do that, you know? Yeah. It's, 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 well, it's funny because it's actually, it's my father-in-law. <laughs> like, so it's really kind of funny cause it's, there's this like, you know, um, he's like my dad, like I love him to death, you know what I mean? But it's one of those things where he's like, you, you can tell he's kind of like, just why won't you tell me? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but you know, family, no, it is what it is. It's whitetail hunting sometimes. That's right. I was like, there's, it's uh, there, there's family and then there's whitetail hunting. I'll talk to you after the That's season. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, with That's... that dude, I think we can go ahead and wrap this one up. We gave our updates on Montana cool. our updates on, on our whitetail hunts, unless there's anything, uh, anything. Well, actually let me ask you like you, when you, um, put together the, um, uh, that short with your Montana hunt and you share out the snippet, uh-huh. are you sharing this for public consumption at some point? The, the, uh, the, the, what I'll call uh, the trailer or whatever. Yeah. So, um, the, I did kind of, um, I did some rough cut stuff, some of the interviews and, and some of that, um, I did put out an episode on arrow wild, uh, TV today and the actual short film, um, Another PA boy, um, Wade James from AdLive Collective, mm-hmm. uh, he edits, uh, he's done, this is the second short film that he's edited for me, and he's actually coming on board as the editor for Airwild TV next year on the episodes uh, that'll be on Carbon TV, but uh, the short film will be sent over to Badlands. Nice. Um, so the sneak peek link that I sent you via text a little while ago, mm-hmm. um, that's a, that's a sneak peek for you. Um, and that'll be, like I said, sent over to Badlands. Hopefully it'll get picked up and then that's when it'll get seen publicly for the first time. Sweet. Um, and then after they release it, then I'll, I'll, you know, put it out on other social media outlets as well. Nice. But, um, yeah. And I know yeah, so that's all wrapped up and, and done. Um, Nice. I'm, and, I'm looking yeah. forward to seeing the sneak peek, man. And I want to say, you know, I know that we talked about this a little bit and you, and you kind of mentioned it 
there just very with 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 undertones but uh, i want to say congrats on the uh, on the carbon tv stuff man that's awesome you know i always yeah appreciate you know, that i think that it's it's killer that you're uh, you're going to be on that platform and get some more exposure for for era wild which is which is great uh, and, yeah. and you're very deserving yeah. of it, man. Like you, you work hard at your craft. Um, you know, you're good people and it's, you know, and, uh, at least I think so. Um, and, uh, yeah. and, uh, don't tell anybody else. Yeah. I won't tell anybody else. I won't, I won't, <laughs> I won't ruin your rep. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, I'm My looking street for cred, you know, yeah, street street cred, cred, you gotta bro. keep it, you gotta keep it. Uh, but no, I'm looking forward to seeing this stuff on carbon TV, man. And everyone out there, you know, when this all comes out on carbon TV, be, be sure to check it out. Um, and, and give arrow wild some support in that, uh, on that platform. But, uh, yeah, man, let's go ahead and shut this thing down. I, I got a, I got very little sleep for tomorrow and a train ride to New York for a long day yep. of, uh, of research. So I'm going to get, go ahead and psych myself up for that now. Yeah. Sounds like a plan, man. Yeah. My, my phone's actually starting to beep telling me that the battery's about dead and I'm going to go upstairs and hang out with the, uh, the sister-in-law and, um, get the kids tucked in. Actually, they're probably already tucked in, but, uh, grab some dinner and, Wake up and do it all over again tomorrow. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I want to thank you all for tuning in. And be sure to follow along with us on the Truth From The Stand Instagram and Facebook pages. If you'd like to get involved in the show and would like to have John and I or a guest answer your questions, or if you'd just like to recommend a topic for discussion, please email me your suggestion at truthfromthestand at gmail.com, or you can click the email button on our Instagram account and leave us a message there as well. Also, if you have a free moment, it would be awesome if you'd leave us a five-star rating on iTunes and be sure to hit the subscribe button while you're there so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes and guests. And finally, I need to give a big shout out to our partners that continue to make this podcast possible. Whitetail Institute of North America, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Lone Wolf Portable Tree Stands. And until next time, we'll see you. I could show you through the door. If it's all, it takes a special knowing to colorful, damaged heads, broken letters, nationalize yourself in numbers, but I gotta get away from All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.